welcome to the Draft Deeper podcast. This is your host, Nathan Grubel. Joining me as always is my producer, Kevin Black. Steven is not with me tonight, but that's perfectly okay because in his place, one who also recently joined the No Silence Collective, I'm so honored to have him on again. This guy knows that I was a fan of his work long before he joined the No Silence team, and I feel like he's only taken it up another multiple notches since he's been a part of No Silence. Comes out with a prospect overview every Tuesday for us, barring when we decide to switch our schedules around. Sometimes that happens, but either way, usually on a Monday or a Tuesday, the author of that prospect overview, Maxwell. How you doing, buddy? I'm doing great, man. I'm glad to be back, and I am finally excited to get to talk about my guys. I've been listening to everyone else talk about their guys for <laughs> what seems like months now, and uh, I'm excited. I'm really excited. I, I feel like I've got some different picks than a lot of the other guys, too. I, I even had to shove my boy Josh Minot to the side oh, just because, you, did. I, you know, Matt Penny talked about him. I don't want to do want to be stepping on his toes too much. I, I know the politics of this game, so got to be careful there. But uh, yeah, it was it was hard to pick four guys. You know, I, I feel like this is one of those classes where I've kind of lamented that I the depth of it compared to last year just feels a lot more shallow the, the, the further down you go. But then when you're like, hey, pick four guys, you realize that there's there's some more guys that you really like in this class than, than you might think. So as as Maxwell just talked about, this is a quote unquote, their guys episode. And I've put off bringing on more of the No Ceiling Collective for a little bit because I want to have us diving into the end of May all the way through June in full force talking about our guys. This is these are a series of shows. These are just supposed to be very fun, very lighthearted, not as serious as some of the other podcasts that I do on this feed. I just, I want to have a good time. And there's nobody better to have started that with than with Tyler Rucker. We did that first episode about a month, month and a half ago, where we each talked about our guys respectively on both this feed, as well as the No Ceilings NBA podcast feed, which, man, that show has taken off. Some of the numbers. I mean, we, we know that this show is going to be pumping out good ratings all year round. But the, fact <laughs> that just, the fact that we just started that no silly's NBA podcast feed and started taking off the way that it has hats off to Tyler, Ruck. both the Tyler's Big really time. Tyler Rucker, Tyler Metcalf are doing an excellent job. And who knows, there might be more of you and I in that podcast mm-hmm. feed future. Who knows? But Let's see. Starting with Rucker and I, and now we're going to move on to Maxwell. And hopefully over the over the next few weeks here, I'm going to get more of the no ceilings guys on one by one to share their guys because I want to I want to pick your brains. I want to have more of these different conversations. And I'm excited, Maxwell, for the list that you put together. Even though you said it was a little hard to narrow it yeah, down, yeah, it is for a little hard, mm-hmm. but you chose some excellent names, and we might as well start off with the biggest name of them all, the guy who has. I, I use the word skyrocket upward. I use that phrase a little too much. This guy mm-hmm. has quite literally skyrocketed upwards. That would be Dyson Daniels at the G League night. And I don't know if it was just because not enough people watched enough of the G League night tape during the year because there were so many other college games going on. You know, this draft class, as I've said it multiple times now, it took so much of my attention to the point where I didn't even watch as much NBA as oh I have gosh. in years past. Yeah. I mean, the, the, the level of depth and the level of work that we've had to put into with just even the domestic college guys, let alone branching out to the overtime elite, the G League, any international guys that we could be talking about, absolutely ridiculous. But 
now that the college season ended, the NCAA tournament's done, more people have had time to go back and watch some of that G League Ignite tape, specifically the second half of the year tape, where Daniels' shot really came around. He took off from a shot-making standpoint. It wasn't just the standstill open catch-and-shoot threes with him anymore. It was actually walking himself into pull-up jump shots and started knocking them down even in the mid-range with pretty significant regularity compared to what he was previously. Overall, I mean, on the year, sure, he only shot 30.4% for three-point range, but a lot of that percentage was heavily skewed towards the first half when he really was not making much of any jump shots. Um, but as the year went on, he got much more comfortable with picking and choosing his spots from the perimeter, as well as getting to the basket more often, off coming off that initial screen up top, being able to get downhill, get to the basket finish. He 46 and a half percent from the field overall. That that's pretty good when you factor in again, a lot of the shots that he missed in the first half of the year, how good he really had to have been from that January to early March stretch. And that's really the biggest thing that I'm sure you're going to want to touch on with him. But we know some of the other strengths we've talked about, the playmaking, the defense, but hit on his package overall, Maxwell. Talk about some of the scoring things mm-hmm. and really why is he one of your guys in this? Yeah. Game? So Dyson Daniels is like, these are all guys I like. And some of them I have in, in a reasonable range that a lot of other people have them in, but I'm still really passionate about them. Dyson Daniels is the guy that I am like way higher on than the consensus. I have him at six on my board right now, which I've been open and honest about Uh, a little surprise nugget for the listeners is I've tinkered with putting him as high as four on my board. Holy smokes. Um, I I can't pull the trigger on it, um, but I've considered it. I I don't think I will, but I've thought about it. So the sales pitch with Dyson Daniels is Dyson Daniels is six foot eight. He yep. is essentially operated as a point guard for the G League Ignite at yep. 6'8", as an 18-year-old in a professional organization. And over the course of the season, um, so he over the last 10 games, he averaged 6.1 assists to three turnovers, almost a two-to-one assist to turnover ratio. Excellent. Well, we want to see um, and over the course of the full season, it was, it was close. It was like two, it was like 4.7 assists to 2.5 turnover. So the assist to turnover ratio was great the whole year. Um, but toward the end when they were really kind of letting him run the show a lot more and have more on ball reps, uh, it, it got even better. So Dyson is a fantastic decision maker um, yeah. with the ball in his hands. He's very smart. He doesn't do puzzling things there aren't plays where Dyson does something with the ball and you're like oh come on what was that there are turnovers where players make a good read on the ball guys can get into his handle which it's six eight that just happens like that happens to Luca like every big initiator is going to have guys that get into their handle it 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 stinks but it's a thing that happens um Dyson is also an outstanding on ball defender. I, I believe he is the best guard defender in this class. Uh, I, we can, I mean, you could, you could extend that to perimeter, man. Like, you yeah, throw, yeah, yeah, you can throw the threes in there. Like him for I sure. Think it, Andrew Schleck, when I was on um, down to dunk yesterday, mm-hmm. he asked me how, what, what I thought about Dyson's body and if I thought it was going to fill out. And my answer to that was an emphatic yes. And that's a big reason why I think he's going to be able to guard those bigger threes at the NBA level. Yeah. So it's, it's not just the ones and the twos. We're talking most complete perimeter defender that you and I would probably agree on in this class. And that's significant. Certainly. And, and part of it's his arms. Like he's very good with just his length and walling guys off, but his feet are really good too. He's light, um, but not like through his chest, like just like with his feet, like he does a pretty yeah. good job of, 
of containing guys, even though he is on the thinner side, he does need to get a little bit bigger. Um, but just between the passing, the connectivity, he is a rapid decision maker, which is something I harp on with players a lot is a lot of times you'll see more so college guys post gaudy assist numbers, but they get to have the ball all the time. So they have the ball for like 24 seconds out of the shot clock and they're just bound to kick it to a guy and they make an open shot. And when you're in the NBA and you have to transition to kind of stepping into a role initially, not being the guy that your team plays through, you have to make those 0.5, those quick decisions where the ball comes to you, boom, quick, you hit it to the open man. He can do that. So he's a excellent decision maker. He's unbelievably smart. He's already displayed rapid improvements in his areas of concern, uh, which I'm not even sure areas of concern really anymore. Um, he's an outstanding defender. And I think given his physical skill set, savvy, defense, passing, and ball handling, if you think that he's going to be an average shooter, average, not even saying good, sure. I, I don't see how you put him outside of the top eight players in this draft. That, that's, a, that's a terrific last point to end on because I, I have him right now, and this, this board isn't finalized, finalized. Yeah. I'm, I'm tinkering with it till about like May 22nd, May 23rd. So like shortly after the combine, I'm, I'm going to be done. I'm going to be mm-hmm. done with my board. That's going to be it. I got him at 10 right now. So I okay. have him outside of those eight guys, but he's like, yeah. he's like right there. Right? We're talking yeah, about yeah, a top yeah. 10 prospect regardless. Mm-hmm. This brings up an interesting conversation because I still come back to, I know you haven't, but I come back to the fact that you even had the thought about putting him as high as four. That yeah. indicates to me, you think he has tremendous potential beyond what he is right now. And mm-hmm. Not, not to point this question into we're going to have this full-on debate about another prospect. Yeah, 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 yeah. But I brought this up yesterday in our mm-hmm. group chat. And yeah. I talked about Dale and Terry mm-hmm. and another guy who is one of these six, seven wings who is very similar style of defender, one through three on the perimeter. Another one of these connector types of guys who maybe he's not the most dynamic on-ball creator but in terms of redirecting the ball, keep it moving, knowing what to do and make the right decisions, very low turnover kind of player mm. with the similar shooting upside, in my opinion, as a Dyson Daniels. So their shots are kind of in a similar spot right now, but I will give credit to Dyson. He showed me more improvements over the course of the second half of the year to the point where I would say that even though I would say they're in similar spots, I think that Dyson's the better shooter. I'm not going to argue that point. Mm-hmm. But my whole question was, should there be a significant gap between the two? Because I would have Dale and Terry in like the 26, 27 range on my board right now. That's like exactly where I have him, yeah. We're talking like anywhere from 17 to even more spots potentially of a difference Mm -hmm. between the two. So in answering that question, you technically would have to say that you do think there's significant upside to Dyson Dale. What do you think that upside is to actually have him where you have him on your board. Yeah. So I, I think one thing we need to look at with Dyson too, is that I think there's some real like three level potential with him. Um, and I know that sounds like a lot. If you're like, Oh, this guy shot 30% from three and you're talking about <laughs> a three level score, but here's the thing. He shot 57% at the rim in the yeah. G league this year. So oh, he he's is, one, one level covered. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Fantastic there. He has a really good floater game. Um, and part of his issue 
with his shot. We really need to get into the shot to talk about the upside. So um, his release was slow and his entire mechanical process was slow. Uh, Early in the season, if you watch him and Adam Spinella did one of his awesome like YouTube breakdowns on him and like his videos of like Dyson's like, like slow shooting form earlier in the year is really good. So if you look at like, the weakness section on his videos, like you'll see what I'm talking about. He is very slow to get into a shot off of the dribble. When he does a floater, he's not, he can get right into the floater, but the actual pulling up into a more traditional jump shot he's it took him a lot more time. Uh, later do, on, do you need the mid range jump shot? Like that two dribble pull up to be mm-hmm. absolute money. If you can get into the paint, with regularity to actually get to that floater and your floaters um, good enough. That's a debate I've had yeah. with some people. And I don't know. I, cause that, that brings me back to like some of my concerns with Jay and Ivy too. Like yeah, we, yeah, yeah, we yeah. have the concern about Jay and Ivy not being a mid range level score, but there mm-hmm. is enough of a floater game to work with there to where if he continues to improve on that and he has that shot, like two feet in the paint free for a line in why would we make as big of a deal about him not having that mid-range pull-up when he does have that in his bag? Like, really, it's just about being able to get to your spots of the court and take advantage of the space when you have it, when you get mm-hmm. there. So, like, do we need Dyson to even have more of that pull-up touch? Um, I think if we're talking about him as, like, a second or third option on a really good playoff team, probably. To be a starter, no. I think he could be fine without it, but... um. To reach his I, potential, I would agree with you. I just wanted yeah. to pose the question. And yeah, it for out sure. Because it is a good debate to have. It is. It is. And I think it's definitely something I think about a lot with Ivy. Where I give <laughs> Ivy the benefit of the doubt is, though, though is it like, he's so fast. Like, I, yep. I think that his ability to just kind of, like, get where he wants, negate, it's going to give him some wiggle room and some time to grow into the mid-range thing. Um, but with Daniels, he really improved his pull-up mechanics. He got into a shot a lot quicker, and especially off the catch, he really sped everything up. If you watch those, like, watch those last couple of games this season, it is so different. It is a night and day that his ability to just get into those shots quickly. I, I think that I think that there's real potential there. Over his last ten games, he shot about forty-three percent from three, forty-one point two percent from three over his last ten yeah, games, was. and that's from NBA range. And again, like we do not give these G league guys enough credit for the fact that they are shooting from NBA range. And like your guy, Michael Foster, like that's something to consider with him is like, yeah, yeah, like this three point percentage might not be where you want it, but for someone who's 18, 19 years old, doing it in a professional league from that distance, that matters. Like that context is very important. Um, I think Daniels has real three level potential to score. And I think when you're breaking down his, his kind of potential and upside, and then you factor in just the length, the decision-making everything else, it's, that, that's why I have him in a, a tier above. And I think comparing him to Dalen Terry to go back to that, I think he's just miles ahead in terms of like usage in the league that he played in. He played in a pro league and ran the show. And Dalen Terry was a, a fourth option on a really good college team, scored eight points a game. And like, I love Dalen Terry, but the level of responsibility that the two were, were faced with is, is so different in my opinion that I, I can't, I, I can't, I don't know. I can't do it. I can't put him in the same tier. To me, I think the major separation between the two comes into play. And I, I, I don't have a synergy percentile in front of me mm-hmm. for, for Dyson to really critique this part of his game. But I would imagine if it was in front of me, I think the number would be very favorable in his favor when we talk about scoring and pick and roll situations as the ball handler. Yeah. 
that's the biggest struggle. There was the biggest struggle with Dale and Terry. He rated, mm-hmm. I believe, I, I want to say 17th percentile when I looked up the numbers the other day. It was one of those things where his overall, his like Sub overall, 20. yeah, his like overall pick and roll numbers were good, but his offense was iffy or something Correct. like that. Correct. Right? So, yeah. so his pick and rolls, including passes, he was above the 70th percentile. There we go. His scoring out of those situations as the ball handler, sub 20 percentile. That mm-hmm. That's one of the weirdest, uh, I don't Maybe weird's not the right word, but it's it's one of those like so you don't see that. Uh, <laughs> yeah, to be that good of a pick and roll player, but to score out of it yourself so rarely. Right, that... but that's that's the difference though, because Dyson, especially in the second half of the year, and like that was one of the things that jumped out to me when I saw him live was I don't even think it's that he's that quick turning the corner, but he chooses his spots like when he makes that move incredibly mm-hmm. well, like. He he will like literally at the drop of a hat just decide to make that turn of the corner off that screen, and he gets to that spot before a defender is able to react. And by the time they go to react, it's a six foot eight guard coming at you full force. Like even though Dice is not the most physically gifted player yet in terms of build and strength, it's still very hard to stop that player from getting where he wants to go if you haven't already beaten him to that spot so like his anticipation and his read off of that screen not just it's in terms of passing fast. but just getting downhill to score it's it's incredible man it happens really quickly and he yeah. he makes some like this is gonna sound like it, it's almost gonna sound like a criticism like or something that you would say about a player who stinks but like he makes interesting choices with his footwork but i mean that in a really complimentary way like he'll come off a screen and then like the first step that he takes after he is rounded the corner is not where you expect it to be and it really helps him in terms of getting to the paint for somebody who's not particularly like explosive north south but he yeah like he's just masterful as far as like just reading where the defense is and then putting himself somewhere that they're not prepared for i'm not calling him slippery when i make this comparison but you know how You'll watch Shake Gilgis Alexander operate in the pick and roll sometimes. Mm-hmm. And like you just you can't necessarily explain what just happened on the film. He yeah. Just, like, yeah, he just kind of like snakes through everything and like, yeah. I get some of those same vibes with Dyson when he looks mm-hmm. to score in those situations. Like I can't fully explain what just happened, but it did. And I think we have to acknowledge the fact that even sometimes when we can't explain it the best the fact that he can still do it with regularity and get to his spots that means something. And you put together that package. He's able to both score and distribute out of the pick and roll. He can cut off the ball. He's a really good, a good cutter, yeah. transition finisher. I think Beauchamp has the edge in that category for me just because he has that speed that Dyson Daniels doesn't have. But yeah. Daniels in a similar way when he gets going to the basket and transition, it's very hard to stop him. And if he's making those open catch and shoot jump shots from three-point range like he did the second half of the year, you start to break down like – even if more of that mid-range sauce that we think can come around for him, but even if it doesn't, he just scores and and operates offensively in so many different ways on the court Mm -hmm. to where it's hard to envision him not being able to pile up points in certain areas. And you factor in the assists, you factor in the plus rebounding for his position. You factor in that he averaged two steals per game in the G Mm -hmm. league, in a professional league, not just in college, like, he puts together this case that he's one of the most complete players in this draft class. It just, it's the, the sex appeal isn't there with his game. His, but yeah. Cause he's else. not like a crazy athlete. There's nothing like weird or unknown about him. 
but the bottom line is he he produces and yep. something i like to do is just watch every player on my board i try to watch their worst game his like worst games are good like he just does so many different things on the court well He's, his worst game i'm assuming you define that because like he did have some games where like he would he would be out of the picture offensively mm-hmm. but it's Oh, by the way, he's still doing his job on defense to a degree yeah. that's better than almost anybody else in the class. He'll still have like four assists, eight rebounds, and three steals. Right. Like he'll still find like he snakes his way to the glass. He's like sneaky good at getting rebounds that he shouldn't get or getting extra possessions for his teams. Um, his pass placement is the other thing I I really want to touch on. Like that dude can throw every type of pass. Like he's got the pocket pass. He can throw you know, whole cross court slings with one hand, he can make the rapid skip. Like it's all there. Like he has, he's not creative. Like he's not Sharif Cooper. He's not going to do stuff that you're like, Holy crap. I've never seen a guy do that before, but he can, he can put the ball where it needs to be. However, is most effective to get it there too. So passing touch is something that I don't think we talk about enough as evaluators, but he he has it. And like, that was one of the start differences. Like when you see Jay, when you see Jane Hardy running the offense for that team out of pick and roll, it's not the same because we know that let alone the fact that the dude struggled with just dribbling the basketball sometimes, but you also know the fact that there are certain ways the defense can manipulate him in those situations where he's not going to be able to get the ball to where it needs to go. You can't, mm-hmm. can't say that with Dyson because of everything you just said. That's something we don't talk about enough, but I'm glad you highlighted it. Yeah. And, and I, I think this is overall fear feel for the game is, is so off the charts that like anytime there's a play where like a ball handler, like tries to get into the paint and they can't, so they go to take it back out to the perimeter and they turn their back. He's always like, just like lunging over to knock that ball away, like just create a steal and, and things like that. He is, I, I love to use the phrase, the drew holiday factor, which is like, when you're not playing well, how good are you? And Dyson Daniels is always good. Like he is just never a net negative on the floor. And I think that when we consider playoff basketball and like guys getting schemed off the floor and things like that, I, I just don't, he scales up. That's I, yeah, I, I, I don't always don't love using that term. It's like a draft Twitter, like buzz term, but <laughs> yeah. it, it is, it does actually apply to him. Like he scales up in every way that you would want him to in a playoff series. For sure. I, yeah, I just don't see a way that he's like such a negative on a, on a court that he's like hurting his team in the playoffs. And yep. something people might point to is his free throw percentage. But if you look over the course of his career, the first thing to consider is in the G league, they take one free throw instead of two players shoot a worse percentage on their first free throw than their second. So his average gets pulled down by that. Yeah. Um, that That's something that's, that's really the biggest reason why I've kind of ignored free throw percentage yeah. is because it's just so like, you, you don't, you don't even get that second shot. Like you have a game yeah. where like him going, him going like three of five from the line would mean that he would go six for 10 in a normal game. But like, do we know that he would go six for 10? We sure he wouldn't have trips where he'd make both of them. Like we, we don't know yeah. the answer to those, but it's like so hypothetical. It's really weird. But he, he also is like, I like the experiment. It's a fun yeah, experiment. it's fun. Um, but he also like shot like 70% on his free throws, like everywhere else he's been prior to the G league. So like, yeah, it's, it's not good. Like, I'm not going to tell you, Oh, I'd, I'd send him to the free throw line with my life on the line, no. but I, I think it was just like a down statistical year. I think that if you look at the larger sample, which we, it's our responsibility to do, uh, it's much less of a concern than it appears on paper. I would agree. And yeah, Dyson has been a no ceilings favorite for quite a while now. And he has moved up our boards as well as a lot of other people. So he's going to be firmly in that lottery range, probably top 10 range is, 
I hate the, to put you on the spot necessarily, but is yeah. there is there any one situation you would like love to see him in from, from some of those teams? Like anything that just – if you don't have an answer off the top of your head, it's fine. But yeah. Anything that might jump out at you at the top of your head. So the one I've been thinking about a lot, and the reason I was actually thinking about him putting him fourth was because I thought, you know, if Oklahoma City had to pick fourth – I wouldn't, I wouldn't hate it. I, and like, I, I selfishly would, I don't know. I'd kind of like to see Chet or like, I want Chet in Oklahoma city or Houston really bad. Just cause I feel like he would help those two teams a lot. Um, but if the thunder fall, I think he fits in with their backcourt so well because Shea doesn't really compete on defense very much. Giddy is, I think maybe going to be an okay defender in time, but he's not there yet. Just getting like another dynamic playmaker in there who is going to be a nasty defender and has a little bit more length and upside than Dort, I think would be fascinating to see. So that was my, and shout out to Andrew Schlecht for accommodating mm-hmm. um, us in those ceilings and having me on the, the Down the Dog podcast yesterday. We were recording this on May 11th, but that was, he hit me right off the bat with like the doomsday scenario question of like, if we fall to seven, who might yeah. be like a target that can kind of like bring some joy into our lives. And I'm like, I'll give Stephen Gillespie the credit for this one, but like we've all talked about the Daniels to Thunder for a lot of those same reasons that that you pointed out. And like, even if they would fall in that sort of scenario, I think like calling Dyson Daniels a consolation prize, like I I don't know if I would take him at four. I don't know if I would have the cojones to do. Yeah, that. I don't think talk I could about do. like six, seven, eight, nine, like. I don't know if you call him a consolation prize. I think that's mm. a damn good use of a lottery pick. Yeah. So that'd be great. Mm-hmm. That's one that jumps out to me. And also Andrew Schleck, Saturday Slam and Jam and Down to Dunk, both just outstanding. So he's yeah, he's great. The, all, everybody at the Athletic, him, Sam mm-hmm. Cassini, all these guys that are doing incredible content. We, we, we love all of them. Mm-hmm. So let's move into the second player that you wanted to talk about. Yeah. EJ Liddell out of Ohio State. Mm-hmm. Man, this guy has a very, very wide draft range depending on who you talk to. There are some people that love him late lottery. There are also some people who would still have him in like the late first round, early second range, all, all depending on who you talk to. Um, yeah. I think most of us at No Ceilings have kind of warmed up to him as like a top 20 prospect. And we've been very comfortable to mock him, like to the Timberwolves at 19, for example, and some of like boot mocks that we do. So we view him in that way. I, I don't know how high you view him actually. Like he's one, I haven't really heard you say too much about EJ Mm -hmm. Liddell. So I'm very curious to hear ultimately like where you're thinking about having him right now and why he is one of your guys. I I know by the numbers, why he's probably one of your guys, but Mm -hmm. what are some of the things you you, you do like about him and why do you have him? Where are you doing? Where do you have him? Yeah. So I think I, I think he was 18 on my most recent board that I submitted for no ceilings. Okay. I think anywhere from like 14 to 20 is fair. Like I, I would feel like if you put a gun to my head and said, you have to put him 14th, I'd be like, all right, that's fine. I'll live <laughs> all with right, it. Whatever. Uh, yeah. So um, that's, that's kind of the range where I have it. Um, I just think he is a playoff basketball player straight up. I saw a Twitter like community mock where he went like 45th the other day and I lost my mind. Like I just, I see so much in EJ Liddell. And I think part of it is I am a sucker for when guys have like major flaws and then work on them and get better in those areas. And I think that might be a big part of why I like Dyson so much. It was just seeing him throughout the season progress from three 
and just openly talk about, like, I worked on it. I feel more comfortable with it. I, I love self-aware players that are, that are smart and you know, they're going to put in the work and have that propensity to improve. Um, so EJ Liddell last year plays at the G league elite camp and stinks, just lays an egg, has a bad performance, goes like over six or something like that scores two points, just brutal gets the feedback that he's too heavy. He needs to shoot better. He's not got the lateral quickness that he needs. He's not really, you know, quick enough to, to switch down or cover NBA fours and things like that. Comes back to Ohio state this year, produces like crazy moves way better side to side um, is able to keep up with the guy like Johnny Davis. When he switched on to him, gets switched on to uh, you know, guys like Jaden Ivy and is just not a guy you can take advantage of anymore. Um, His help defense becomes exponentially better because this improved quickness uh, just gets into position so quickly to help and protect the rim. He provides so much value as a secondary rim protector when he's on the floor uh, that if you have a team with a center that is a little bit shot blocking deficient or things like that, he can really help out teams in that scenario. Um, But also I coming into the year, there were things I liked about him. I wasn't, I wasn't in on EJ Liddell before the season. I didn't think we'd be talking about him as a first round pick. Um, To be perfectly honest, I did not see this like explosion coming in terms of his draft stock either. Yeah, but the things I liked about him were that he he was a good passer. He he has a very good read for cutters. And if you give him the ball around the top of the key or the elbow and there's off ball actions happening and guys are, you know, cutting to the basket, things like that, he'll find them. Um, I, I just think he he cleaned up his shot a lot. He used to shoot on the way down a ton. And sometimes he still does it. Sometimes his shot comes out a little bit funky because he releases on the way down. Um, but his volume and percentage from three has gone up every single year. I think he's around 38% now. You know, um, what's, you know what's really intriguing about mm-hmm. his shooting numbers? So catch and shoot shots in the half court. Yeah. Right? 76% of the time that shot was guarded. So yeah. We're talking about a guy who isn't just feasting in terms of improvement to his numbers mm-hmm. on wide open, unguarded catch and shoot shots. 76% of the time, the man was guarded on those looks. 81st percentile in terms of how many he made, nearly 40% on those yeah. catch and shots. So that, that is, when you talk about impressive developments mm-hmm. and improvements, that really, really stands out to me because those are not easy. You're telling me almost three out of four shots he's getting closed down on and his mm-hmm. shots being contested and he's making almost 40% of those looks. That's ridiculous. Yeah. He is like weird, tough shot making in his bag. Yeah. Like he can do some like crazy, like not, not as smooth, obviously, but like Carmelo Anthony style, just like, Hey, I'm really covered, but my team needs me to take this shot. And that's not going to be his role in the NBA, but it's nice to know that he can do it if he absolutely yeah. needs to. Um, but just like other, like ready-made NBA skills, he was 74th percentile in synergy as a role, man, 82nd on shots off the dribble. He like, I love his game when he attacks closeouts. He's got a nice little pull up. He can get all the way to the rim if, if, if he's got the lane to do it. Um, but he was also 84th percentile pick and pop, which is perfect. Cause he's a great screener. That's something he'd be asked to do all the time. Uh, and he was also 89th on no dribble jumpers. So if, if you've got a guy who's going to come in, play the four spot, be low maintenance, can move the ball when you need him to, and can knock down jump shots contested or guarded. And if you switch a small onto him, he's strong as hell. He's going to mash the guy under the basket and dunk on him. 
He's this is what you need. This is what you need if you're a playoff team. This guy's like EJ Liddell. Yeah, he he has one of the most complete offensive physical profiles that we can look at. We haven't touched on a ton of the defense. It's mm-hmm. the only thing he, the defense is a huge selling point too, though. We can't it like, is. It is. Oh, the, we're oh, we're we're not throwing it under the rug, mm-hmm. trust me. The, the only thing where he doesn't really rate out well offensively was on cuts. It was in the 35th percentile. That that makes sense though, because he's not the quickest guy. He's not the cleanest of foot. Like, do you do you really want to rely yeah. on this man like cutting the basket all the time? No, like, but also not. like Zed Key is sitting under the basket. Like it's not right. It's not it wasn't like an ideal cutting scenario. It's it's Big Ten offense where everything yeah. is like it's two bigs on the floor at all times. There's no real open lanes to the basket. Yeah, there's mm-hmm. there's reasons. But at the same time, like if that's really the qualm that we could have about him offensively, like how many, how much, he, how often is he going to be doing that in the NBA anyways? Like, I don't see mm-hmm. that as he's going to be asked to do that. So in, in the play types that he's asked to posting up against smaller guys, right. Taking advantage of mismatches, spot up shooting. We mentioned some of the, the no dribble shooting. So him just come and get into the spot immediately launching. Great. He can attack the basket off the dribble, any play type you want to throw out there, including passes, the passing doesn't sink him. He's a, he's a good passer. As you mentioned, like, there's so much of a ready-made game offensively that again, similar to talking about Dyson, like he's not this over-the-top athlete. He's not, it's not like the sexy shot making, but he just gets the job done. And I think that's mm-hmm. what a lot of teams are going to be looking for in these six, seven, six, eight, six, nine forwards who can also potentially masquerade as fives in small ball lineups. And I get some people are not big fans of using the term small ball five because you really have to be on your P's and Q's defensively. But this guy is. This guy yeah. can actually body somebody up in the post and block their shot in one-on-one situations. We talked about how he can also help protect the rim from the weak side in certain situations. He is such a unique defensive weapon that I'm I'm not sure if I would call him and switches as being a strength of his, but as you mentioned, he's not like barbecue chicken out there. Right? Yeah. Like you can't carve him up. So his defense, you want, you mentioned you want to talk about it because it is selling. Mm-hmm. How do you think he's going to be used defensively in the NBA? Like if you're, if you're a coach, you have him out there on the court. Like who do you, who do you want him guarding? Like how do you want to use him? Cause that's, that's yeah. an interesting debate to me. So there's, there's a lot of different ways you can use them. I think, one is sort of like we're seeing Grant Williams utilized, where it's sort of like a big physical wall stop. Oh, I, I love that comp. Um, I think yeah. that might be like a best case scenario. I know Corey loves to use like the Paul, the, the Paul Millsap type comp out mm-hmm. there. Like if he can become like what Grant Williams has been for the Boston Celtics, mm-hmm. you want to talk about a steal of draft pick for anybody. Yeah. And I loved Grant coming out. So like, this is like my type, like my type is like, <laughs> The, the big, the big, strong, burly four that can like pass and has good feel like that yeah. is, that is my type of player. Um, I, I think that's like one option. I also think that um, I do think like if another team goes small, he's a great small ball five. I wouldn't like throw like he, he, so he like when you don't want to throw him out there to be a small ball five against somebody with like Jokic or Embiid. Yeah. Like I would not want it's a small for small situation. Yeah. But like if a team like Golden State is playing and they've got Draymond out there and, and you can kind of cover him. And if you need to have him switch on to a Jordan pool as he comes off a handoff action or something like that, I can, I can live with that. Yes. Um, I also think there's like weird potential if you want to like use him as sort of like a help rover because he is so quick to react 
that if you just have him kind of like floating around out there, he is very quick to get into position and make life difficult. If a team has a guy who can pressure the rim. Um, I really think Grant is like the most one-to-one direct like comparison is like similar to Grant Williams have him stop like if the other team's got a big beefy guy that wants to get to the rim and has the speed and likes to do it like he's a great guy to just body somebody up um but i think against small ball fives and then even yeah in other schemes is like a, a help rover almost how like i would imagine he's to, like, probably he, he's gonna have a lot of responsibility probably like guarding yeah. somebody who's in the corner so that he can come over and help like mm-hmm. protect the rim from the weak side that's how i would imagine he's used initially, but depending on how teams are attacking certain situations, they might look to attack him and put him in a ball screen and see what happens. But as you're talking about, like, even if that's his role, right. Kind of like a corner defender who can come over, help protect the rim. Mm -hmm. You don't want to like attack him in those situations. Like if you're putting him in a bunch of ball screens, like sure, there might be some matchups where he loses, but there's also going to be plenty where he, at the very least he holds his own. Mm -hmm. So like, you don't want him as like a full-time perimeter defender, but to your point, you can't necessarily attack him either, which is a major plus for any team looking to yeah. draft somebody like that to be ready for playoff basketball. Mm-hmm. It's interesting. It's very, very, very interesting with, with EJ Liddell. Yeah. Where, I, so where would you take him? Like you, you mentioned kind of like your range for him. Like mm-hmm. if you are a team in the late lottery, would you actually take him in that range or would you want to maybe make a bet on somebody else? Um. I think it depends. I think there's a lot of teams where I'd probably rather just bet on somebody else just because the upside. Like, I think, I think ideally in the right situation, he starts, but I, I do think it's pretty easy to envision him as like a really positive bench contributor on a great team at the very least. Um, like Grant Williams. Like yeah. Grant yeah. Williams. Yeah. But I think if you're, I don't know, like some of these teams that are picking in that late lottery range, I wouldn't feel great passing on like, I really like Ty Ty Washington still like Jaden Hardy in that range. If I need a more traditional center, Mark Williams is there. So like if if you're Cleveland though, sitting at 14 right now. Yeah. They've got, they've got, I don't know. You've already got Mobley and Jared Allen though. Like, I don't know that I would burn another pick there. Um, And you know who really could use the Atlanta at 16. They yeah, really for sure. Like that. that is the team I would 100% think about him for. And then Minnesota. Um, Minnesota, Chicago is right around yeah. there too. Like those are all teams. So I think should think about him. I just think the way the draft breaks kind of isn't really in his favor this year, but I think that that's the range that we should be looking at. So that's like that stretch of teams from as, as the draft falls right now, Atlanta, Houston, Chicago, Minnesota, San Antonio. Like, do you all see a world in which he gets out of that range and he falls because like i given what those teams need i don't i think like he's probably so. a top 20 pick at this point i yeah i think he is i think depending on the team i, I definitely think there's an argument for tari easton to have more upside i just trust liddell a little bit more um oh you're speaking my language bud not yeah. not that i i have tari higher right now mm-hmm. but I rank him based purely on upside and his as upside's I talked better, about yeah. on multiple podcasts, like I don't trust that everything's going to work with Tari. Like there's just, mm-hmm. there's just something about him, Maxwell that just, it doesn't pass the sniff test for me. And mm-hmm. I can't get past it. If you're asking me which one of those two, like I would rather draft and have in my system, regardless of ranking, I think it would be EJ Liddell for me as well. Are, are you like, 
Are you still like in Ontario? You're just like that much higher on Liddell, possibly depending on the situation. They're really or like close. Does something, does something not pass a sniff test for you either on no, they're they're close. I think Tari is like twenty one on my board currently. I just think Tari's okay. floor is scarier. I think with I think with EJ, the way it won't work out is like if the shot is just not there. If the shot regresses, if he can't hit from NBA range, that's a problem. Sure. With Tari, I think I think a lot of people focus on excuses for his situation and not things that like were a real problem like i think a lot of people are just like oh he didn't have a real point guard a lot of the time and he didn't but also like he makes really questionable passes sometimes he he played in a defensive scheme that allowed him to gamble all of the time and he's really good at it like he's high motor like there's like i still got him 21 like this is not a guy i'm out on by any means um but I think his role is such a departure from what he's actually going to do in the NBA. Like he's not going to get the ball in the NBA and be able to like dribble the ball between his legs five times before he decides if he's going to attack the basket or not. Like that's just not going to be what he does. Correct. Um, Did I think that there's a chance that he may be asked to undergo a major role adjustment, a coaching staff might not love his habits and then he just never really gets the chance. And then because of that, he's, you know, not getting opportunities and he's bouncing around the league. Like, I think, I think that's a real possibility for him. Um, I, I, I agree. Higher, higher upside, but. Well, yeah. And that's the thing is like the upside is so tantalizing. Cause like, he's a better athlete than EJ. Absolutely. It's off the floor better than EJ. If he can like play in a more NBA centric defensive scheme and it holds up well, and he's still blocking shots and getting steals like crazy. And the shot is still there and everything else like that. Like I'm going to feel really stupid for having each ahead of him, but and I don't, I don't love all the decision-making like you offensively, but mm. just picking apart the passing it's closer than a lot of people would realize arguably in Tari's favor, like Tari will whip out some of these passes when he has his back turned to the basket where I'm just like, we're, where the hell did that come from? Like mm-hmm. he has that. He he can do that. Like yeah, Tari Tari's a very naturally talented player. But I, yeah. I agree with you. Some of the skill stuff and that leads to the floor. You you just you trust EJ more. Mm-hmm. I I think like a playoff team would absolutely trust EJ Odell today more than they would trust. Like they would want to give minutes to EJ more than Tari Newsom today. For sure. Yeah. Like I think about the Bulls, like being in Chicago. And they desperately need forward size basketball players that can play defense. And if I had to pick one of these two to do it, like obviously Tari has higher defensive upside, but if I needed to go back in time and play somebody in the playoffs, I would pick EJ every single time. So this next guy that we're going to get into, he is, you want to talk about like writing a love letter to no ceilings, the chef's kiss. Mm -hmm. You're speaking directly to Tyler Rucker. Yeah essentially saying a poem to him by wanting to talk about Jalen Williams Mm -hmm. on this podcast as one of your guys. And I'll I'll tell you what, man, this guy, he keeps growing on me. Same. Every single time I watch him, I come away more and more and more impressed. And I'm getting to the point. I made what I consider to be a bold proclamation on social media today in preparation for us doing this podcast. And I said that Jalen Williams could be the Desmond Bain type of outperformer in this draft class. And while some would say, well, he might be picked in like a similar range, like might be a late first round pick and could definitely outplay his value. Desmond Bain has significantly outplayed his value to the point where 
I'll give the audience a spoiler alert. I'm going to be releasing a final sophomore ladder um, at some point over the next week or two. I got Desmond Bain at number three on that sophomore ladder in that mm-hmm. class right now. And maybe the more damning point to having a number three is I have him over LaMelo Ball right now. I have Whoa. LaMelo Ball. I have LaMelo. So in, in that, the, I know, so, such a teaser, but it, you know, it's my podcast. I can do whatever the hell yeah. I want, man. Yeah. I, can, I can tease my own content. I got Anthony Edwards, number one, Tyrese Maxey, number two, Desmond Bain, number three, and LaMelo Ball, number four. That's not me saying that, like, that's how it's going to shake out. Mm -hmm. But right now, with what Desmond Bain has done in terms of contributing to winning, being the third option on, like, the second best team in the Western Conference this year, Mm -hmm. that speaks volumes to me. Everybody might say, you think Jalen Williams could do something like that? I actually kind of do. Like, this Mm -hmm. guy has... I've, I've talked about him on multiple podcasts, so I'm more curious to get your thoughts on the why yeah. one of your guys, but like anything negative that I've said about a man has just, it, we're, we're talking like nitpicking. And I mean like yeah. sincerely nitpicking in the most draft Twitter sense mm-hmm. of nitpicking. He has so much to his game that we can unpack and talk about, but this, it's your time to shine, man. This is your show on the podcast. So why is Jalen one of your guys? Just give me everything you love about him. So, I think we should start with the scoring package. Jalen yes. Williams is a three-level scorer right now uh, with 71st percentile on jumpers, percentage synergy, 86th on runners, and 73rd on shots around the basket. Uh, he has a very, very smooth pull-up jump shot. Um, he is more than comfortable playing with the ball in his hands, taking that one dribble, two dribble pull-up. His bread and butter, he does it all the time. Um, he was 97th percentile on catch and shoots, which I think reads great to him scaling into a role. At least favorite, favorite part to me about his offensive games. This guy is lethal. I lethal off the catch. You cannot leave him open. And a guy who we're no. talking about is like a fourth or a fifth option, probably at least mm-hmm. when he comes into the NBA, it's going to have a lot of those looks. It's going to burn a lot of teams. Well, and it's worth noting too. He's six, six with a, apparently a seven, two wingspan. I, I for an ESPN team today. Like when I saw that almost. Oh fell out of my, my chair. God. So, uh, so not, to, not to brag, but I'm, I'm six, five with the seven, one wingspan. And, uh, you know, you can touch the floor in the top of the doorway at the same time when you have that kind of wingspan. Yeah, that's 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 real deal stuff. And his release is so high that it's it's really hard to contest, especially on like his pull ups and his floaters and things like that. Uh, He doesn't have a ton of vertical pop, but his length just does so much to compensate for it. Um, Really comfortable with the ball in his hands. 81st percentile on synergy and isos 89th percentile in pick and rolls. 92nd percent no dribble uh, jump shots as well. So if you need him to put it on the floor, he can do that and score that way, or you can do it off the catch. Um, but this also ties into, well, what happens when he's chased off the line? What happens when he has to go toward the basket? He is a really poised decision maker. Uh, he plays with pace. And a lot of times people say that when a guy is slow, uh, he's not the fastest guy in the world, but he, there's a difference and he does play with pace. He knows how to use hesitation to kind of freeze up the defender, freeze up the entire defense, uh, always keeps his head up. Uh, and he's got pretty good bursts. Like his, something I put in my notes is like his second and third step is really nice. Um, and he's very creative with the ball too. He has a nice array of moves to get himself space, get himself toward the basket. So he has the moves to either pull back and get a jumper or get downhill and get to the rim. What, what, um, what, what I love about 
all of that in that package that you just talked about is just coming back to the very simple thing that we love and no ceilings. Guards, guards and wings who don't kill their dribble. Mm-hmm. He never kills his dribble. And that just opens up so many doors for him because of the fact that he is 6'6 and he has the length and the size that he does. Like all he needs to do is to use any one of those things that you mentioned to just get to a spot and he can keep somebody off of him and he can stay in that spot and then he can work out of it because all he needs to do, he doesn't need to have this incredible, amazing blow by speed because of all the different things that he has in his bag and his handle. He never kills his dribble. He always keeps his head up and he knows everything that's going on around him. He just needs to get to the spot. Once he's there, he takes advantage of that space and those spots better than a lot of other players in this class. Yeah. And, and I think when we get to the other side of the floor too, there's a ton to love um, on defense. His recovery is oh. really good. He's very aware. So he's like a great, like, I'm going to swipe at the ball and recover to my man. I'm going to, uh, you know, force a guy in a certain direction. And he, like, he has a big body at six, six, he's really strong. Um, and I think like strength is just an underrated asset when people talk about basketball, like it makes it so much harder to get to your spot when you're trying to go through somebody who's stronger than you are. Um, his length plays a big factor there as well. He is super balanced and very in control of his body. A great game to watch. If you're just like, where, like, where can I like learn about his defense? Watch him against TCU early on in the season. He had a ton of possessions guarding Mike miles who's also very strong and one of the quickest guards in college basketball and the way that he like makes his body a sideways slinky to just get around screens and stay in front of a guy who is lightning fast and just prevent him from really getting anything going when, when Williams is on him was just unbelievable. Like he, he competes so hard on that end of the floor, uh, which when you have that, high of an offensive usage. We're talking about a guy who's like 18 points, four assists per game. Most of those guys phone it in on the other side. And I think that something that we should really learn from Io Desunmu last year was when a guy has such a high offensive usage and they're still a good defender in college, they're probably going to be a really good defender in the NBA when that offensive usage comes down. Balances out, yep. Oh my God. Yeah, this guy, for my money on the tape, best pick and roll ball handler defender in the class. Like for all- It's uncanny. For all the possessions that I've watched Jaden Ivey just die on screens out mm-hmm. of the perimeter, um, I never saw that happen once with all the film I've watched on Jalen Williams. He is spectacular on that and throw in his awareness as you talk about everything going on around him off the ball, having to react, having to help, having to contest. He's very rarely out of position. And that's something where if you aren't the most elite of athletes, if you have that understanding, that positioning, you kind of know what's going on and you know when to time it right to get to a certain spot to meet somebody. That's the stuff that that I see from Keegan Murray too. And that's like a big reason why we all love Keegan Murray. It's not that he's this tremendous athlete when it comes to either end of the floor, but particularly defensively, like you never see him miss rotations. He's always balanced on his toes. He knows what's going on in front of him as well as behind him. And I don't really expect a lot from young guys to be honest defensively when they come into the NBA. Like we, we joke about that a little bit in the group chat. Like we want to mm-hmm. see more from these guys defensively. I, I never expect it, but when you see it, when it's something we can talk about, something that we can really sing praises to, 
that matters to me. And you know damn well it's going to matter to all the NBA coaches too that don't mm-hmm. have to, you know, worry about if I put this guy in to see how much he can handle or what kind of run can I give him offensively. You don't have to worry about him dying on that, on that other end of the floor to limit him from playing more of those experimental minutes. And I think that when I make like a Desmond Bain type of comparison, like that's helped Desmond Bain so much that he's come into the NBA. He's been a smart team defender and he hasn't killed Memphis on that end of the floor to the point where you can trust him to play major minutes, to start giving him more touches and then on ball reps and allowing him to have more of that creative freedom offensively because he's proven that he, you can trust him on that other side of the court. And I see a very similar outcome with Jalen Williams. Like he's going to blow away coaches on the defensive side of the ball to the point where they're going to be like, all right, all right, Brooke, how much more can you handle? Like what, what can we start throwing at you? And I think like he's a junior, but like that, the, we know like the age stuff doesn't necessarily matter to us. Like mm-hmm. we're talking like year two, year three, year four in the NBA, he's just going to start having more and more like spoon fed onto his plate to the point where he's just going to prove himself to be one of the more complete players from this draft class. And that's, that's why I, I make that comparison. Like an older guy, technically a little bit older of a guy coming in, but still more room to start tapping into things because of just your comfort level with him in certain areas on the floor to the point where he'll have those opportunities to experiment. Yeah, and he, I think he's younger for a junior too. Like I think he either I think like he's just 20, 21. 20 yeah. right now, I think. Yeah, Maybe so like he, Hang on. I'm going to have the answer. Keep, keep going. I'll have for the sure. For yeah. It's second. just another thing to keep in mind though. And like, I, I beat this drum all the time, but I, I really just think like being a responsible player and being a trustworthy player is so undervalued Massive. in the draft, in the draft space, because like, we always just want to say like, Oh, team should draft this guy. And then just like have a plan to develop them and be patient these people's jobs are on the line. And most of the time they don't have that level of security. They can't be patient. Coaching he is going to be 22 be on draft net. So oh, he, is? Say he is. He is going to be okay. 22 on draft net, but either way. My info so, is bad. So it's, it's all good. Uh, but yeah, I, I think that a lot of times like we just kind of blow over and we're like, Oh yeah, team should just be patient. Team should give this guy a long leash. And it's, it's so detached from reality and just yeah. intellectually dishonest to, to operate under that assumption. And I think that with a guy like Jalen Williams, we're like, you know, he can knock down shots, you know, he will not make bad decisions and you know, he is going to play defense. Like a coach is going to appreciate that a lot more than they would, you know, somebody who's coming in raw, can't really do anything yet. And you're like, no, you got to play him. Like, it's just, it's, 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 it's the reality of the situation is that coaches want to play guys that are good at basketball right now. And he is. Is he a top 20 player in this class? I don't have him there right now, but I might get there with him. I think, I think it's I had a top 20 grade on Desmond Bain. Yeah. And I so feel like if, if, I I'm, too. if I'm really starting to dig down to it and compare the two and I'm seeing all of these similarities, I'm really fighting myself in terms of why don't I have Jalen Williams with a similar grade? Do I, do I really want to make that many more bets on some of these younger guys? ahead of him if I think that he could get to a similar place that's that's the hard discussion I need to have with myself before I I kind of complete this board out because I had I had been 13th which was really high uh but also to prove I'm not breaking not, I, had not Malachi, high anymore. I, had, I had Malachi Flynn ninth so like let's say you know I'm not not perfect here you had uh, a ninth? 
I, I didn't know what I was doing. It's my first year doing this. I didn't I, know what I was I, doing. I think I, I, so I loved Malachi Flynn too, coming out mm-hmm. of college. I think I had him in like the early 20s. And I'm still glad where he went with Toronto. I still think he has a really I still think he's, future in the end. Yeah, I think he's got a shot to be good. But I was like all in on Malachi Flynn. But I wasn't like as deep into it as I am now, like knowing what I know about like player sure. age and whatever. But yeah, so. um, You're you're good for the Desmond Bain at 13. Yeah, yeah, that, yeah. That's, that's safe. That's you're the winner. Good. That's the only yeah. one we talk about here. So, um. <laughs> Yeah, I think the, the point of like, who would you rather bet on is, is the conversation that I'm going to have before I do my final board, because I think it's Hollinger that does the thing where he's like, yeah, there's usually like 20 guys that stick. So your top 20 should be guys that you think are going to stick. And there's, like, there's I, in, in every draft class that I went back and, and yeah. I looked, I flew, I think I went as far back as like 2016 last summer on mm-hmm. the podcast. And I looked at draft classes and I wanted to look for like tier one through tier three guys, which in my opinion are like guaranteed one through four starters in the NBA. <laughs> there's like 15 or less guys every yeah. single time. Like it's the margin for error and how good you actually have to be to hit that point. Like we, we fall in love with like 30 something guys who want to get first round grades to, but really mm-hmm. how many of those guys actually make it? It's such a small number, but Jalen Williams yeah. could be one of those guys, man. Like that's what I, we're talking well, about. I, I think and like the problem is like, I think he's going to be, like, I think he's going to be a rotation player. Like, I absolutely have no doubt about it. All right, we're moving and, him up the boards on, on this podcast. But the I thing mean. is, like, I'm still, like, talking myself into some of these other guys. Like, I'm still talking myself sure. into, like, Usman Jang and, like, uh, like uh, Ty Ty Washington and Jaden Hardy and, like, some of these other guys that I'm, like, I still think, like, they might have a higher ceiling or even, like, a Nikola Jovic. Like, there's guys sure. that I think the ceiling is more enticing sure. because I – I think Jalen Williams starts in the right settings, but I think it's more likely that he is just like a damn good bench player. Sure. And I don't know, man, I might be coming around on the other side of that conversation. We'll see. We'll, see, see, where, yeah. we'll see where I fall because right now mm-hmm. he is like that back end of the first round on my board. And this is more yeah. just like, but I have him like thinking about it. I have him like firmly ahead of Christian Brown, who I think like everybody else at no ceilings is like, he's a first round guy. And I think I have him like 30 right now, somewhere in there. I, I have Christian Brown at like 32. He okay, so you're him. not the guy to like have to argue with. But like well, I, just I, think, I am because you yeah. know how much I love Christian Brown. You know yeah. how much it hurts me to do that. But I, I just think when you talk about creativity with the ball, it's not close. No. Between Jalen Williams and Christian Brown. Like Christian Brown, like every time he gets around a closeout, it's like I'm going to like skip and do a hesitation move and I'm going to take two dribbles and I'm going to pass or I'm going to throw up a floater. Like he just doesn't have juice with the ball in his hands. And like there's real juice with Jalen. The, the start stop stuff there. It's, it's not the same. I, I agree hundred percent. It's not it's not the same. So yeah I, I just I think he's got to be like firm first round at this point though. Like I, I think I think you're okay like betting and losing on a guy like this. Like I think if he doesn't turn out it's like well I don't know. I, I think the, the sample of work is so good that if he doesn't turn out, it's one that you're just like, well, I, I couldn't have seen it coming. So it is what it is. But the film is just unreal on him. So this last guy, very curious to get your thoughts on why you want to play your flag with him as one of your guys in this draft class. Not to say that mm-hmm. I don't like it. He is. He's, he's a top 60 guy for me. He's been the top 60 guy for me. For a while. And I'm also not making you make a bold proclamation because he's one of your guys. You have to say that like he's a first rounder. Yeah. But Tevin Brown out of Murray State, one of the best mid-major prospects that we got to see this year. I thought for sure that Murray State was going to upset um, St. Peter's. Or not not upset, but beat St. Peter's to go on and upset 
Kentucky. I had I had Murray State beating Kentucky in like so my in my brackets. So. I really thought that that was going to happen, but then St. Peter's went on the run. So that that kind of hurt Tevin Brown, I think, a little bit because mm-hmm. when he finally gets on this national TV stage, everybody finally has a chance to to watch him, not just us working in the weeds during the year on the draft stuff doesn't come out and, and, and show his game really in a big way. But you, you go back, you watch the tape. There's some things that you have to love. Mm-hmm. There's, there's also some things that I don't like to the point where I would classify him as a shooting specialist. If he's going to yeah, work, yeah, yeah, yeah. Day, that's what he's going to be. Cause I don't, when you run him off of a spot, you have him get downhill, get going towards the basket. I don't trust the float game. I don't trust the finishing package around the basket. I don't touch so I, I don't love some of the decision making coming off of Ooh, those situations. Okay. So if you're if you're buying more of the passing, yeah, then, then we 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 can talk about that. But I I think this guy is obviously a lethal catch and shoot guy. I think you can have him coming off of certain actions and he can be an absolute bucket from the mm-hmm. perimeter and he can catch fire. He could be one of these flamethrowers guy, like ninth, ninth man on your team for comes in the game. Team wasn't expecting him to be a factor, but he catches fire like 15, 20 points, like at the drop of a hat. I think he can be one of those guys in, in the NBA. But that's that's kind of like the ceiling I see for him. And I see some people think there's more there to work with. Mm-hmm. So if you're one of those guys, I'm happy to hear the case. But I'm not like I'm not as high on to the point where like I thought at one point he could be like a top 45 back for me. And I've I've mm-hmm. completely cooled off that. He's like back end of the second. For, for okay. Me. Maybe I'm wrong. Yeah, I think if you're a good team, you could take him earlier in the second. I think if okay. you're like a good like a team like the Sixers, if they had a pick early second round and just like need they need shooting and like a guy who will compete on both sides, I think I think he's there. well. We need. I mean, this shit. We need anybody who can replicate some of what Seth Curry did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but I, I think if you're like a serious team that needs some shooting, I think you give a long hard look at Tevin Brown. Even a team like the, I talk about the Sixers and Bulls a lot because like those are the teams I see the most, but. Uh, another so talk to me about some of the stuff you like about his game besides yeah. just the pure perimeter yeah. shot because we agree so, on that wholeheartedly. Yeah, so Tevin Brown, excellent off of screens, best best shooter off screens in college basketball. Um, I think that he has more juice with the ball than you're giving him credit for. Okay. I think he's, I think his decision-making is solid, and I think it doesn't okay. show up in a more traditional sense. Like his pick-and-roll numbers are good, but a lot of that's carried by his offense. Um I think where he kind of shines is when he knows it's not there. When he comes off his screen and he flies off and he knows like, look, I'm just smothered and I'm not get, I'm not getting this up. He moves it quickly and he keeps it moving. And I think that's what he needs to be is I think that your job as a specialty shooter is basically just to be like a cog in the machine to just like run around, get open. If you're open, you shoot it. And if not, you move that sucker. And yeah, and that's what he does. Like, I, I think that it's very, just a nice, simple game. And I think that when he does, go toward the basket. I really like his handle. Like he keeps the ball on a string and it doesn't get too far away from his body. He doesn't try to do anything crazy with the ball. He's just very measured as far as what he's doing when he puts it on the floor. Um, I also really buy the defense with him. Like he's really productive on that end. He'll, he has like sneaky block numbers. Um, He does gamble a little bit and he is really thin. So he's he's six, five. So that that helps him. Yeah, and his arms look pretty long, um, but he does – like, he, his screens will give him trouble. He's really skinny still. Like, that is, like, a big concern that he's 
I think he's like 24 on draft night. Like he's older because he's a red shirt he senior. So pretty much um, what, what you're getting out of the box is that it's that's probably it. Getting. Like yeah. it's and, and that's the thing is like, I, I want to be very clear. Like if Tevin Brown comes into camp and it's not there, it's probably just not going to be there. Like you're taking sure. this guy, hoping it's there. And if it, if it is, I think you get really good value. And if it's not, then tough luck, you move on. Um, and, and there's a real chance that I, I don't think there's, uh, I, I wouldn't be fair if I was like, no, like he's going to be awesome. And even if he struggles, give him a two year, like whatever it's, that's probably not how it's going to work out for him. Um, but I, I just really trust him. I, I think that he moves so well. and like the way that he just competes for rebounds. And then there's another guy where like, he's just in great shape. Like he's going to be, he's not going to be faced by NBA training camp he runs the entire game. Like he competes exceptionally hard on defense. He runs around on offense the whole game. He's, he's ready to go. I think in, and I think that just his spirit and fervor and the way he carries himself, like it just reeks of a pro player. to me. So the biggest part of why I was excited that mm-hmm. you wanted to talk about Kevin Brown, it wasn't just that, I necessarily wanted or needed a second opinion on his game, but it's because of exactly what you just brought up and the fact that we kind of know what the range is for him. And part of doing our job, as well as obviously scouts and front offices and executives that have to make these decisions and actually, you know, get the contracts written up and have to find players who are worthy of handing out like two-way contracts. Like that's part of the job. Mm -hmm. We have to be able to identify and plant our flag on like, the second round great guys who were like, if the options on the table, like who are the guys that we are very confident in that like, we want to go to the table and bring him in on a two way. And like, we have the hope that he can outperform that life and he can be like a guaranteed contract for us guy, possibly like down the road. Like the whole point of part of our job is to find those guys as well, believe in those guys. So the fact that you wanted to talk about Tevin Brown I was assuming that that's where you were going to like, you have the confidence in this guy yeah. that like, I believe in mm-hmm. fully acknowledging that like it, a lot of these, let's be honest about it, a lot of these guys, like it's, it's second round yeah. guys, like it doesn't work out, but usually doesn't happen. Yeah. You believe that you would plant the flag for Tevin Brown and be like, I think we should bring him in on a two way. Let's see what this kid's got. I feel like he's got something that can totally. help us in, in any way. And I think he might be able to earn a contract. With I don't think there's a team in the league that should not, sign try to sign him to a two-way like that is like a great great deal to me because I, I think the other thing too is people are talking about like oh this guy's old he played at murray state whatever he was dominant like he was an exceptional college basketball player he's 50 percent on twos 38 percent from three uh 16.08 points 3.16 i think he's a chili you're like i don't want a half half a block per game at six five but also listen to this though like this is this is key 22 points against Memphis, 22 points against Auburn, 17 against San Francisco, despite being in massive foul trouble the first half. When he played against good teams, his game scaled up and held. And I think that when we're talking about mid-major guys, a lot of times, like, I don't want to throw him under the bus. You look at Baylor Shireman's numbers outside of the Providence game against major teams. Well, that's your boy. You could do it. That's your boy. I, I'm always like the agnostic <laughs> guy on Baylor Shireman, but, uh, but like some of, some of these guys just can't do it against against high level athletic competition. And Tevin yeah. Brown can't. Like he is a real deal stud. Like he is a dominant college basketball player, and I know that he's older, but domination tends to translate. And I think that's the type of player that we're talking about. This is a team that just 
was laying everybody in their path out until they got to St. Peter who tipped over a lot of apple carts and, and put together a great run. And they deserve credit for it. Like they're just an often an awesome defensive team, but I, yeah, I, I don't think there's a single team in the league where it's not worth taking a stab at him. I think in terms of shooting specialists, I don't think there's anybody with a better profile in this draft. Um, maybe Hyun Jung Lee, but I think that Tevin is just so far ahead of him as an athlete and a defender that, and Hyun Jung's younger, like I, he's probably higher on my board ultimately, but if you're looking for a shooting specialist, I just don't think there's anyone else in his class. And there's also something to be said in that I think this guy is deserving of a chance. And I think he's a guy who will stick around in the States, right? Like, I don't, I don't see this guy being somebody who's going to go overseas and play. Like, I I think teams are going to want to give him a two-way contract, you know, have him in a G League system and and see what could possibly happen. If he ends up earning, you know, call up to the NBA against that gear. Like, I I think that is the path for him. And that's why I thought this conversation was worthwhile to have because we need to be able to identify these guys. That's an important part of scouting, not just talking about who's going to go top five in the NBA draft. We got to look at these guys as well. And I know Maxwell, I, I trust you for your evaluation. I trust you to find those guys because you are, you are always in the weeds. You and Evan, <laughs> I swear to God, man, you guys yeah. are always bringing up players that I haven't even heard of. I'm like, mm-hmm. who the heck is that? But yeah. When I go and watch some of those guys, I see what you're seeing and I see mm-hmm. the flashes and I'm like, having somebody like you on the staff, for example, who has an eye for talent and who can properly identify some of those guys who might be worth those opportunities. Sometimes that means a lot more to me than just getting the quote unquote right opinion on somebody who's like going to go in the top 10. Yeah. So. Yeah. Well, I feel like those guys are a lot more accessible too. like anyone with a team. Yeah. You could have seen like Paulo play, you know, 20 times right. over the course of the season. Um, I, I wanted like, in like to your point about the deep cut guys though, like another deep cut guy that everyone loves, like among the sickos is Malachi Smith from Chattanooga. And when Murray state played Chattanooga, I, I can't believe we're talking about a Murray state Chattanooga game in that game. Like it was just so clear that like Tevin Brown was so far ahead of Malachi Smith that like, I don't know, like just seeing him on the court against other pro prospects. I, I don't know, like in those games where he played other, other guys who have legitimate NBA aspirations, he was, he was just clearly among the elite. And I, I agree, man. I think he's, a, I wouldn't, I wouldn't rank him in my top 60 if I didn't think he was a pro. I'll, I'll put it yeah. that way. Like despite yeah. some of the flaws that I don't have full confidence in, Mm-hmm. I do think he's a pro. I think he's going to get a shot and I think he's going to earn his way onto a court. And whether it's for a short amount of time or a longer amount of time than, than we might've cared to admit at this stage in the evaluation, I think he's yeah. going to get a shot. He, he's going to have I some think, kind of shine in the NBA. I think he's going to get more shots than we think. I hope because, so. Cause look at Matt Thomas, like Matt that's, Thomas that's is, is a bomber who just like keeps getting brought in places and not really sticking but every team wants a guy like that. Even if it's, is there like 14th man? Like every team wants a guy where it's like, well, maybe we just throw this guy out there and see if he gets hot or if somebody's injured. All right, well, at least we can throw the special center rotation. Regardless of where he played, we're talking about a mid-major conference, Murray state. Like Mm -hmm. the dude never took less than six threes per game and he shot 37% or better from three point range his entire Mm -hmm. four year college career. Like, there is something to be said about that. Those are the types of guys that teams want to identify to bring in because every NBA team always needs more shooting mm-hmm. any way they can get it. If they can get it on the cheap per se with like a Tevin Brown, mm-hmm. they should do it. And, and chances are they probably are 
And I think he's just like a better athlete and defender than the guys that normally have this profile. Like he has some real, real juice to him vertically. He's not going to get killed laterally. He can get this, up. Off, I will give him that. He yeah. Can get up off the floor. Yeah. The skittiness is like the one thing that really gives me pause. It's like this guy is running out of time. To Listed put on at his six five, one seventy five. I bet that one seventy five soaking wet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't think he's one seventy five. There's no chance. Um. But yeah, I mean, like you just look at like the steal and block rates on him. Yeah, two point three steal rate, two point one block rate. Like for a, a guard player, that's outstanding. Um, and normally with these shooting specialists, you're just not getting any of that extra stuff. And I think that might give him a little bit more of a leash than a normal guy who's just brought in to to bomb away. I love it, man. See what had I not framed the podcast episode around quote unquote your guys. Mm-hmm. What if I had a conversation for like 15, 20 minutes about Kevin Brown? <laughs> like pro- probably, probably not. not. Yeah. But that's that's why I love this exercise. I'm going to keep it going all the way up to the 2022 draft because that's how we bring other prospects into the conversation. Mm-hmm. So, Maxwell, I thank you for that. I thank you for the time that, that you've given me here at Draft Deeper. I can't, like I said at the top, man, I can't say enough good things about you. Seriously, you are you are a rising star in this space. I am. I am thrilled that you're with the No Stillings team. I told you privately that, like, I was calling for you behind the scenes. I'm like, dude, <laughs> like, you got to bring in Maxwell. Like, this guy, he seriously knows his stuff. And I couldn't be more thrilled to, to work with you now and to keep working with you in the future. So thank you, man. Yeah, I really appreciate it. Like I said, like, your your show is one of the first, like, deeper podcasts in, in the draft space that I got into when it was like, oh, I want to listen to more, like, draft-specific stuff and not just, like, when the draft comes up on a mainstream NBA show. I want to get you. You won me over. You the mentioned draft. the words War Room Hustle. War Room like, Hustle. Oh but, like, this guy, this the shows. Guy it, was like, it was, like, that kind of stuff that, like, really got me into the space. So, and NBA Deep Dives is the other one with, with Nick and Tyler. Yeah. So, it's funny, like, that everyone is kind of all under the same umbrella and that some, somehow I'm here too. So it's a real pleasure. And yeah, anytime I can come on here and chop it up, I, I always relish the chance to do it. It's a blast. Any, any last minute draft thoughts that you want to get off your chest before we, before you close out, give your, give your um, social, all that fun stuff. Not that I can think of. Um, it's fine. If you don't, I know I can put you on the spot. I didn't, I didn't know if there was like anything that like, you, you read our group oh. chat today. You're like, I got to get something off my chest. Like, oh, the, yeah. The last thing I want to get off my chest is like, I think Pete Nance might be a guy. Pete Nance. Like, I, th- I really think like he just might be a guy. Um, I was really happy to see him get like the, the G League combine invite, but I don't know. I'm, I'm really pulling for that guy. I just want to give, give him some quick love. How many, how many people you think are going to make it to the combine out of the G League combine? Like they already invited like seven, 76 guys accepted invites. I couldn't believe combine. how many guys were there. Do you know how many got invited last year? It's like in the high 60s. So like. No, I mean like from the G League camp to the. Oh, I think it was like, I want to say like three or four guys. It wasn't that many. And like the G League that elite combine camp is like, but the actual combine is already bursting at the seams as it is. I know, like more guys. So I, the some guys are definitely going to. There's definitely going to be at least like one or two spots. I would, yeah. I, I will say, out of the guys on that list, I will mm-hmm. I will give Pete Nance a legitimate shot to make yeah combine because of you know obviously the background stuff, the family stuff, but really. Mm. Anybody who hasn't taken the time to watch Northwestern, I mean, I admittedly, I've got to be honest, I really didn't pay attention to much Northwestern during mm-hmm. the Big Ten season, but it wasn't just you. It was Nick also kept mentioning and ranking Pete Nance on his board. So I'm like, 
do I really do it? I really got to go watch like, Northwestern basketball. And then I do. And then I'm like, all right, I start, I see it a little bit with Pete Nance. I see it. Yeah. Bit. There's just not a lot of dudes that are like six ten that are going to take a bunch of threes and make 40% yeah. of them and can pass. Like he's really slow off the floor. I'm not really sure what position he plays on defense, but like, I think he, I think there's a shot. He's a guy. And I, I just want to give, you know, Chicago's big 10 team some love <laughs> on the way out. Uh, but yeah, it, if, if you don't mind, just real quick, who are like the guys that surprised you the most that got combined in fights? Was there anybody oh, that you were God. like, oh boy. So, oh God, I, I put out the tweet. So Matt Meyer, like, are we still doing this with Matt Meyer? You're like, you understand it. You see it. I, I kind of get I it. I understand it, but I'm like, we're going to keep doing it. Scott, Andrew Nedhart got an invite. That was good to see. Yeah. Um, Scotty Pippen Jr. got an invite too. I was... I was surprised by that one because I think that mm-hmm. like these guys who get combine invites and aren't having to make their way from the G league camp, like their guys, like NBA teams are realistically viewing them as like a shot to get drafted. And like, I, yeah. I had, I had Mavs draft on Richard Stamen to talk about Scotty Pippen Jr. Not that long ago on the podcast. And I, mm-hmm. I got why he was hot, but like to see him like pretty firmly now in that conversation is like, he could actually get drafted. Like, that was a little surprising to me. It but. was. Yeah. It was surprising to see like, some of those guys and then see some of the guys at like the G league camp where it's like, Whoa, like people actually like Kofi Coburn better than like Vince Williams jr. Or, or like, a t- you know what I mean? Like some of those are, it's just like our people really view like Aminu Muhammad is more viable than like Hyunjung Lee. Like some of those were just like, Whoa, how did, what, what happened here? That was, that was the last one that stood out for me. Cause I just not, not that we want to take the draft deeper time to like, bash anybody but i just, no. i just i just don't think he's that good man i at least not not right now i don't i don't think he's that good and he's the, the thing I, that sucks for him though is that you have to tell him to try and, and test the waters and come out because he's an older freshman yeah so that's the other thing that hurts him well and like he played on like such a bad team too that it's one of those things where it's he, it's always kind of hard but to know he probably and, shouldn't be the guy and yeah, yeah. it's a, it's another one of those cases too where like his role is going to look completely different on a professional yeah. team and I don't know. And like Coburn was one where it's like, yeah, like he's undoubtedly going to make millions of dollars playing basketball. It's just, I just don't know what he does in the NBA. Do like you, I just, you, the teams are getting away from that type of guy as a backup. And I don't see him as a starter. Do you have to draft him? I guess is really the thing. And like, that's just like a philosophical thing. Like there, there are a bunch of people who are people who I've talked to who are admittedly much more experienced in this space, mm-hmm. much, much smarter than I am as a scout mm. who would be like, yeah, you should, you should draft like a Kofi Coburn. Not, not that like you, you need to get rid of this notion that like, just because you might be able to get him as like an undrafted free agent, it doesn't mean that you shouldn't take the opportunity to draft him. If you know that he's going to stick around in the NBA for, for at least like a few years, because he's one of those big bodies that like, you know, mm-hmm. that teams are going to want to have somebody like that just on the bench to be able to throw out and be like, all right, yo, pick up like three, four fouls for me, like whatever, like do your best yeah. down on both ends, like get the easy stuff, be the garbage guy. Like that type of player will always be on an NBA roster. Mm-hmm. And if, if that's the argument you want to use fine, but it's just like a philosophical difference. Like, I don't know if I need to draft that guy. Yeah. I'm I just don't know that I need to like waste a resource when like the draft is the one time where you get to actually pick who's on your team. Like you don't have to like I'm I mean nowadays like there are negotiations. And you know what the wild thing stuff. you know what the wild thing is is that we're talking mm-hmm. about potentially drafting Kofi Coburn. Yeah, we have you and I are 76 years because you're 76 years. Yeah, we got we have Charles Bassey sitting on the damn bench and we're not yeah. even using him. So like that 
like, but that to me is like why you don't do it. Like, and I like Charles Bassey. I, I, I like had, him too. I, I like Charles Bassey, Bassey miles Bassey. more than I like Kofi Coburn. Yeah, but like at the same time, it's just like I just don't know that that's something you try. For. Like, I would so much rather just shoot higher. I feel like that's why I have so many just wings with size who might be able to shoot in my 30s and 40s. It's just it's like that's what I would like to try to get. So if I can, I'd rather miss on that than dick. Yeah, you know, that guy didn't pan out, but I really wish we drafted Charles Bassey instead. And like, I love Bassey, but it's again, it's just like there's so many guys I'd rather miss on than like be right about Charles Bassey being able to stay on the team the whole year. Second round centers will always be a thing. Mm-hmm. Senior or experienced point guard prospects yeah. are never going to be a thing in the second round, unfortunately. You know, that, that's okay. That's okay mm-hmm. because those guys eventually get shots one way or another. That's like, yeah. That, that's all I want. Matt, Matt Coleman should have been drafted last year. That, that, I just wanted to say that and get that get that off my chest. But anyways, I digress. Maxwell, yep. we had to have another conversation for the sickos. <laughs> we had to, had to sneak that in. Yeah, that's what you do, and you're you're the one guy mm-hmm. I can I can have those conversations with. I love it, man. So for sure, plug yourself. Yeah. Plug what you write, plug what you do, mm-hmm. because people need to be reading your stuff to find out more about what the draft sickos are looking for at this time. For sure. Yeah. So my Twitter handle is at bound boards. It's B-A-U-M boards, like draft board. Um, my work is every week at no ceilings, usually Tuesdays next week. Uh, Nathan was gracious enough to flip with me. That's so what I'm talking about. Sometimes so you, you can get, the so you can get some primo sicko content. The, the, uh, probably the only G league elite combine preview column coming Let's to no go. ceilings, putting out words about every player at the G league elite combine started Let's working go. on it today. Uh, so it is going to be just real deep cut type of materials going over everybody who's in it, what they do well, what they're going to have to kind of prove at the combine. Uh, so keep an eye out for that, but everything's at no ceilings. So subscribe to no ceilings, uh, no ceilings, NBA.com. If you haven't already. I'll be taking a break at work Monday morning to read that because I'm going to need it. (laughs) Next week is combine week. It's Mm -hmm. G league combine. It's the NBA draft combine. It's lottery. Next week is the, the, I guess the most packed week up until like actual draft week. Like next week is really when we're, we're going to make our bones as, Mm -hmm. as a no sillings collective. So definitely make sure you're locked into everything that we're doing in no sillings next week. We're going to have, as, as Maxwell mentioned, prospect over is going to be G league camp focus we're gonna have a lottery preview out we're gonna have nba draft combine coverage we'll be tweeting all sorts of stuff from the no ceilings nba account on twitter so make sure you're following us over there in the meantime make sure you're following me on social media at draft deeper make sure you're subscribed to the draft deeper podcast for every your podcast apple podcast spotify youtube i will make sure that we have a lottery preview piece next week as i alluded to earlier in this podcast my final sophomore ladder will likely be out the following week so make sure you subscribe no sellings nba.com it's free 99 as Corey Tullable likes to say don't gotta pay a cent you get all of our incredible draft coverage all of our group pieces all of our mock drafts our big boards over 80 individual prospect profiles slash highlights that we have all done and contributed towards Maxwell included more draft content that you can handle so make sure you're following everything that we're doing But until then, thank you all. I hope you all have a wonderful rest of your week.